Hi everyone, it's me, BP, and welcome to the new episode of Let's Talk Horror Podcast. Um, I've been away. Why have I been away, you asked? I mean, did you ask? I mean, maybe you did, maybe you didn't. Maybe you have never listened to the podcast and don't know who I am, and if that's the case, well, now you should probably start. Um, if you've listened to the podcast before and thought, I wonder where he's gone. Uh, well, here I am. And uh, yeah, it's uh, it's been a wild ride. But uh, I did an Instagram live over on obviously our Instagram page. Um, and I, I just went through a little bit as to why I've been away. Um, talked a little bit about what um, our, to, we're doing for the future, really. Um, and if you didn't see the Instagram live, I will explain a little bit at the end of this podcast uh, as to why and what's happening. But for now, let's sort of get into this new podcast. Uh, I've been really excited to talk to you uh, about. Um, and uh, for me, it's, it's a very exciting thing for me to talk about um, because it's about a man, some, well, someone more than a man, a legend um, of all time. Um, and this podcast is going to be about Sir. I mean, he's not a Sir, he, he should be. Uh, but it, I'll call him Sir John Carpenter. So as I said, I'm going to be talking about the man, the myth, the legend, John Carpenter. You know, the man behind some of the the best films of all time. And I'm not just talking about in, you know, in the horror universe. I'm talking about movies in general. I mean, you're talking about the guy that made The Thing, Halloween, They Live, The Fog, Big Trouble in Little China, Escape from New York and L.A., Christine, Assault on Precinct 13. I mean, the list goes on and it's it's mental um, how much this guy has directed. Um, it's incredible. Um, but as I say, that's just a list um, of some of the, you know, the, this incredible man's films. And uh, it's insane the fact that he managed to make so many that have been so influential throughout cinema that, to be honest, I think it's quite shit that he doesn't get the acknowledgement that I feel that he deserves. So sure, he gets it from, you know, people like me and, and fans of horror, but I'm talking about the everyday moviegoer, the awards bastards and the industry others, that he deserves the recognition, you know, that, that as I say, he so rightly deserves. So, yeah. That's uh, what we're going to explore today on this new Let's Talk Horror podcast. The films, the music, the influence of the master of horror, John Carpenter. When you're listening to this, don't listen to this to expect the encyclopedia of John Carpenter. Because if you're a fan, like I am, of his already, then you know it. I mean, it's on... Wikipedia and everywhere, you know, we live in this modern age where you can find out anything about anyone. So I'm not going to be talking to you about that. Treat this as like my love letter to his work um, that I want to share to the world. And I hope you share the same feelings uh, I do towards one of the least talked about film masters ever. A man who is predominantly known for horror but if that is so, then look at his filmography, at how different each film is. He's never afraid to take risks and do 
things sort of the John Carpenter way. No film he's done is the same, even in regards to the escape films. You know, you've got Escape from New York, Escape from L.A., but they feel like two different films from the same series and directed by the same guy. You know, he's a true legend of his art, so he needs to stop being lumped into a pool of just other horror directors when he is so much more. I mean, he made a film about Elvis as well, and, you know, that says something. John Carpenter... He's the king of suspense. The way he works films, you know, where he draws you in from the very first scene and he continues to have you on the edge of your seat to the last frame, which in John Carpenter's hands, you know, the conclusion of the story is always pitch perfect. Film in general is difficult to get right. Like so many people have an idea of how a film starts out or how it all ends, but very rarely an understanding of how important the driving force of the middle part is. But I find that that's not the case with John Carpenter movies. Films like The Thing and Halloween are prime examples of that. The start is about establishing the characters and the story of the film. Then they continue to grow relentlessly, never giving up before the ultimate finale. His films have like a masterclass of pace throughout that not many directors can do. Well, especially as well as he does anyway. And then you have his character work in his movies, which I find amazing. You know, because this is a genre where most of the time you're waiting or you're wanting the characters to die. But not in his films. You know, you like the characters, you root for them. You know, his character storytelling is fundamental to the films that he does. He helps you understand who is good and who is bad. And ultimately, there is no in-between. You know, once again, I take Halloween for an example. Even though Michael Myers is a horror icon, and so he should be, but I never found myself, even from a young age, uh, I never found myself rooting for him you know he's just a dickhead who goes around and killing people and from the first one they're seemingly for no reason you know the rest of the franchise that he's not really part of gave him reasons but the first one there wasn't and it made it scary but yeah he was just a guy going around killing people so he wanted Laurie Strode and the people of Haddonfield to survive his onslaught of chaos but obviously as a fan of it all, you know, I still look forward to see the ways, the sinister ways, as to how Michael Myers was always going to kill someone. But as I say, I never rooted for him. Or once again, we use The Thing as another example of his character work. You know, this is a film that's full of characters, all different, but they all feel real. And it gives you that time to understand them. It gives you them you know, a reason to be there. None of them feel like they don't belong at all. They're all part of his world and you're along for the ride with them. Very rarely do we get a director that can make all aspects of a film make sense and come together. You know, his movies manage to do that and his movies individually are so different and the characters in his films are so different, but somehow they always work. No matter how normal and down to earth, like his characters in something like Halloween or to the over the top of Snake Plissken and all the characters in the world of those escape movies that he made. Or, as obviously I have to mention, Sam Neill, 
in the mouth of madness. You know, he starts off being, you know, this normal guy and goes absolutely fucking batshit crazy by the end. You know, there are characters of all types in John Carpenter movies and they always suit the tone of the film that he's trying to depict. No one ever feels out of place in his movies. They feel part of the world in his own way of doing things and none is more apparent than his movie version um, and he's had that adaptation of the Stephen King novel, Christine. You know, it's a film, it's a film about a fucking murdering car and it shouldn't make sense. But because of the way that John Carpenter expresses the realism through the movie and through his characters or the way he's depicting those characters from the book, you know, it works. And still to this day, I don't know how, because if it was anyone else, I mean, it would be a massive pile of shit. So another thing with John Carpenter for me is how incredible his films look. I recently rewatched, I mean, you know, you know, as I would, as it is the Halloween season upon us, um, I rewatched Halloween, as I do every year. And the more I do watch this film, the more I fall in love with how incredible it looks. You know, it's one of his very early films, and obviously it's a very early film to use Steadicam technology. You know, which especially on such a low budget as it was, you know, was a big move. And you can clearly see how much that paid off. His use of the slow movement of the camera, his use of the amazing looking wide angle shots really adds to the mystery of where Michael Myers is going to be. Or you can see where the characters are heading, but you know what's going to be there when they do. Halloween to this day still looks incredible. It doesn't feel dated like some of the other films that were around at that time. I mean, sure, like The Exorcist in a way where it becomes more around the clothing and the design of, you know, where they are or what they're wearing that can make it look a little bit older. But visually, it still holds up for me as one of the most beautifully shot films I've I've ever seen, you know, and I mean ever seen. You know, the way he sets up the camera in so many scenes in the movie is perfect. You know, a big example of that would be the scene with Michael Myers in the background laying down and Laurie Strode is presumes him dead. But then he sits up and the music starts and the scene is dragged out and it's shot the way it's shot. It just looks great. And then, so as it does, John Carpenter does in so many occasions, he waits to the last second. And then as Laurie's walking away, she doesn't even know he's there. But then he pounces and he strikes. And it's all about that suspense. But it's the way that he, he shoots it, the way that he films it, the way the wide-angle lenses are there to show you everything, you know. And he didn't just film it. That was his choice. That was a choice he made. You know, or you've got pretty much any of the shots with Michael Myers walking across the street, um... You know, they look amazing, but the way that he films it is adding that suspense so much. Whereas then you've got the films like The Thing, where there's a lot more close-ups. Because he's trying to show you more expression. He's trying to make you think that you know what's happening. You know, who is who? Is this person an alien or The Thing? Or, or are they human? And The Thing feels more claustrophobic and closed in. 
you know, the further the film carries us. And it's meant to. He's trying to do that. He knows what he's doing. But then you have films like Big Trouble and Little China, where he would go back to wider lenses, but not for the suspense reasons, but to show you the world that he's created and the different environments and the different characters, you know, giving it a bigger and broader stage, you know, making it feel more like a Hollywood, bigger budget movie, you know, than I'm sure it probably got. But he still did it the John Carpenter way. So there's always a reason that he shoots a film the way that he does, because shooting it the way he does is part of the character itself. You know, it's an important piece of the puzzle to be able to tell the story the way that he envisions it. You know, you talk about his visual approach and his understanding of what he needs to show and what he doesn't need to show is one of the best that anyone can offer you who makes movies. And one of the other things that he's amazing with is showing the special effects in them. You know, he's had some some films that are pretty heavy driven special effects movies like The Mouth of Madness and The Fog, They Live, and obviously Big Trouble in Little China. But once again, they're all completely different. You know, they're done in completely different ways, and you can't mention a film of his and talk about special effects without mentioning The Thing again. You know, which for me, personally, you know, is a film that's driven by the greatest special effects that have ever been put in in film, in, in cinema history. That's how good they are, or how good I think that they are. But as I said, you know, in my previous podcast, uh, the one before this, uh, I did all about special effects artists. And in The Thing, they were created by the amazing Rob Bottin. But here in The Thing, it's delivered perfectly for the screen by John Carpenter. You know, the way he fills every scene, whether it's a close-up to show the detail or the blood or the disgusting goop or the amazing animatronics or whether he puts on a wide-angle lens to show it all in frame. His skill set is perfect in dealing with whatever he has to to enhance the story. And as we all know, some of his films can be dark like really dark and they can take us to some strange places but so many of these films that he's made are incredibly funny and they have humorous moments and lines and occasions especially when you've got films like they live with the overly long fight scene that's been mimicked so many times you know overall that film is very tongue-in-cheek it knows what it is and it's a bit out there and outrageous but he still makes it work the John Carpenter way. Or then you've got Kurt Russell being the bumbling idiot in The Big Trouble in Little China. You know, the humour is there and it's another string to John Carpenter's bow. No matter how much the film surrounds itself in darkness, he will always find the light side when he needs it. So in regards to him as a director, there isn't and hasn't been many quite like him, especially in the world of horror that has managed to accomplish so much in so many of his films, in so many different ways, to work solely for those films, which, as I said at the start of this, for me, is a reason for him to be regarded higher than he has been in the movie industry. You know, he has created some genuine classics that have gone down in history. And I always will support him, but they will continue to go down as some of the best movies I've ever seen, and what I think are 
of all time. And they couldn't have been done any better by anyone else. So not only is John Carpenter everything that I've just spoken about in regards to a director and a filmmaker, but one thing he does, and he does really well, is make an absolute badass soundtrack. You know, movies like Halloween, again, you know, the theme is an absolute classic. And the rest of the soundtrack is amazing too. But I think one of the reasons he really likes to put his music to most of his films is because his understanding of what is going to work for that scene, for that moment in time. And he nails it. And to be fair, the majority of the films that he's made, he has done the soundtracks for. Um, And they've worked for the films that he's done. But once again, this is what makes John Carpenter an even more incredible filmmaker. Is the understanding of being able to take that step back and look at the film that you're making and knowing what would be best for it. You have the thing and you would think that that film was probably one of the biggest films that he got to make. You know, one of the bigger budget of the films that he got to make. You know, over one of his biggest films that he got to do. And you would think that he would jump at the chance to try and do the soundtrack to it. But he didn't. You know, the, the, that soundtrack for the for the thing wasn't created by him. He gave that opportunity to someone else because he knew what the type of film it was and how it would benefit from somebody else doing the music for it. You know, it has a very different type of sound. And it once again shows his consciousness and his relevance of making and understanding the film that he's trying to make. Now, luckily, I was very fortunate because I got the opportunity to see John Carpenter with a few of my friends perform live in London a few years ago, where he performed some of his biggest scores from some of his biggest movies, and it was an unforgettable evening. Seeing the master at work smashing the shit out of a synthesizer, uh, you know, with, with the scenes from some of his biggest movies playing in the background, it was an experience I will never forget, and I'm very pleased that we got it to see it and especially the fact that it was on a Halloween night which made it even better and luckily for us his music continues outside of his movies as he now releases his own albums with his son uh, I think it's Cody Carpenter and uh, he's bringing out some amazing synth music uh, that we definitely um, feel they would feel at home in any of his movies that he's made and they're all very much worth checking out and uh they have all been under the title of Lost Themes. So uh, if you like John Carpenter's scores for his movies and you haven't checked out his mu- music that he does um, outside of them, then you should um, because it's, it's amazing. It really is. So if you don't already know and if you are interested in finding out a bit more about John Carpenter and his process and the things he's done in regards to filmmaking without going to Google and searching his name and finding out everything you need to about him. There is a very good book out all about John Carpenter. You know, it has a lot of words in it. Um, but it is also very good because it's, uh, you know, has loads of pictures. It's very visual, you know, which is really good for people like me, who isn't the biggest fan of reading. 
But it's very interesting to see what he said about the films he's created. But also it's great to see some of the pictures I've never seen before. And behind the scene pics of some of my favourite films of all time. And that's available obviously pretty much everywhere. Uh, and that's called On Set with John Carpenter. Uh, yeah, so so there you go. That's That's me talking f- for ages about who I believe to be one of the most influential filmmakers of all time. And as I said, not just in horror films, but in general, visually, his movies are incredible. You know, musically and the sound of the films are fantastic. And they always suit the type of film that he's trying to depict. Like I said earlier in his films, it's always a reason and there's always a reason for every aspect of it. And it's all there to aid the experience of watching that movie. And no one does it better. So I'd like to finish talking about this living legend that is John Carpenter. Um, about something that I read uh, and I heard in an interview. And I think it's really fitting, especially now, bearing in mind that this month we have David Gordon Green's Halloween Kills coming out. Um. And once again, John Carpenter will provide the score for it, which is really exciting. But as I say, this is something I heard about from when David Gordon Green made um, his his first Halloween that he did. Um, and there's a scene about in it that, you know, if you've seen it, we know. Um, but it's the bit where Laurie Strode, is, she's going around and she's locking all the doors because she knows Michael Myers is in there. You know, she wants to get out, but she doesn't want him to get out. Um you know, and that, that scene could have been nowhere near as impactful or suspenseful if John Carpenter didn't do what he did. Um, and as I say, this is all, you know, speculation, but this is what I've read and heard through multiple different sources. And I genuinely believe it to be true. But David Gordon Green, obviously the director of the new, soon-to-be trilogy of the Halloween movies, went to John Carpenter uh, and spoke to him and showed him the scene uh, like he did do with pretty much most of the film. And uh, he said that he wants him, obviously, to put the music to this scene. And they watched it together, and John Carpenter turned around and said to him uh, to not add any music in it whatsoever, because it will make it less than what it could be. It will make it less impactful and less suspenseful. And he was 100% right, because for me, it's the best scene in the movie. You know, not having that music builds up everything. And, you know, what John Carpenter could have done, you know, he's just done the music for it. You know, he could have let Ego take control and said, you know, I'm I'm fucking John Carpenter. If I want to do the score, I'll do it. But he didn't. And I think it was the most generous and incredible uh, you know, consideration for somebody else's movie that he could have done. And also, it showed me two things in what he did. One, it shows that he still loves the Halloween movies. You know, even though he never really, you know, he didn't direct any of the other ones apart from the first one, and he only really wrote the second one, you know, and after all the shit ones that we got, he still loves it. He still loves the franchise, and he still wants what's best for it. And he wants best for it on another person's version of it. And, he, and you know, he believes in it. And that's still a great thing. But two, like I've said all along, 
you know, his incredible understanding of film structure and the suspense, you know, and how he understands that, you know, and for what worse, you know, works for the best moment in that time. You know, so when I heard this story, it made me understand him more as a filmmaker, you know, and who he is as a person and maybe why he doesn't make films anymore. But with that being said, you know, I would love nothing more for us to get one last classic John Carpenter movie, you know, with all those beautiful wide shots, with all the suspense, with the incredible score and Kurt Russell's beautiful beard. You know, it's something that we can only dream of. So if you've listened to the podcast before, um, you will know that obviously um, I do a little review, which uh, if you haven't listened to the podcast before, then I'm going to do one for you now. And it'll be the first time you'll hear one. They are, or I try to keep them as spoiler free as possible. But I just give you a quick review of a film that I watched recently. Uh, with this being the 31 days of horror lead up to Halloween. Uh, as you can understand, I've probably seen quite a few of them. Uh, but last night, this would be the film that I watched. Sometimes the reviews will be of the uh, the golden classics and sometimes there'll be new ones. But our review for you now, the VHS 94, which, as I say, I watched last night. Uh, overall, it was all right. You know, anthology horror films aren't easy to do and they've never got the greatest reviews. But the problem is you can always pretty much understand why. You know, you normally have one where it's really good and most of the time it's probably the one that they've been told about first and they got excited about it and then they thought, well, we're going to have to fit four or five extra ones onto this, and they're like, well, this one's probably strong enough to carry it. Um, and in VHS 94, there was that. There was uh, one one of them, um, and I can't really say much without giving it away, but there was one of the short stories in it, um, which was the standout. Um, and it was really cool, really well made. Um, but then the rest of them sort of let it down. Uh, the behind-the-scenes story of... Um, you know, what's going on uh, to lead uh, lead us to the fact that, you know, there's something going on or there's a cult or whatever it is, um, isn't very strong. Um, so, yeah, they, you know, it's enjoyable. It's probably the funniest out of uh, the VHS series. Um, but there's probably only one or two uh, short stories in it that is good. And none of them come anywhere near close uh, to match Gareth Evans, um, the director of The Raid, he did a short story for, I think it was VHS 2, but that still continues to be one of my favourite short films. Not just sort of in an anthology, but in general, ever. Um, if you haven't checked that out, like make sure you do, because somehow he managed to fit this whole fucked up world and this cult and everything and it was so immersive and so on the edge of your seat um, in such a short space of time. But as I say, that's a, a segment in VHS 2, definitely not in VHS 94. If you haven't checked that out, watch it because it's incredible. 
And he's an incredible director anyway. You know, if you make films like The Raid and The Raid 2, then you know what you're fucking doing. Um, but in general, VHS 4, no, sorry, VHS 94 uh, was all right. And that's pretty much it. If you haven't got much else to watch, then then it's worth a watch. If you like the series of VHS saga, then yeah, watch it. And um, you might enjoy it. But as a review, yeah, it was all right. Now I'm just going to talk to you uh, a little bit about the uh, the social shit uh, that, that's been going on. Um, I'm a bit gutted. We've just coming back and that one of the segments I really enjoyed doing, uh, which I've done on the other podcasts. Um, and it was really good because uh, it got so many people involved and it's great to hear people's stories. But I did a segment called Your First Time um, where I asked people to share with me their experiences of their first time. Not what you're thinking about. I'm talking about their first experience of watching a horror movie or the first experience they can, you know, they can remember um, about watching horror. And I really enjoyed that because I would have, you know, so many different conversations about, um, you know, one, what it was, two, the experience they remember from it, and three, most of the time, you know, how it fucked them up for life. Um I really enjoyed that, but with just coming back, I haven't been able to do that. So going forward, hopefully, I will be able to reintroduce that segment to the podcast. Um, so yeah, I promise I will get back on that because uh, I do I do really enjoy those conversations and including it into the podcast. So yeah, in regards to this big world of uh, promotion and social media. Um, I've been doing a lot of it um, to try and get back in the swing of, of doing it all again. And, uh, you know, I'm really enjoying it. And uh, that's the main thing. So the Let's Talk podcast uh, is now obviously on Spotify. It's on the Anchor app. Um, it is also on Google Podcasts. And now it's on Apple Podcasts. And I'm th- I'm pretty sure it's on more of them as well. So, um, but... Um, you know, if you want to listen to the podcast, it's available wherever you pretty much uh, use your normal little podcasts. Um, follow us on Instagram um, for daily updates. There's always a link on whichever ones of my uh, of the podcast subscribers that you use. Um, but the Instagram is really great um, because I'm doing daily updates. Um of information that I think you might need to know about the podcast or if there's been updates in the horror world. There's so much going on at the moment, being one, October, and two, you know, uh, horror movies are always ongoing. There's always something to talk about, and that's what I do daily on the uh, my Instagram account. Uh, we've now been doing Instagram Lives. Um, I did my first Instagram Live the other day where, as I said at the start, I spoke a little bit about what happened, why I was away and why I've come back and what to expect. And hopefully I'm looking at doing an Instagram live every month um, where basically we can just have a really nice good old chat about all things horror. Um, The next one I'm doing uh, is going to be on the 29th of October, um, uh, which is two days before Halloween. Uh, That's going to be at 8.30 uh, in the evening. 
Um, but yeah, I'm looking forward to, to doing that very much um, because I, I, I enjoyed the last Instagram Live that we did. Um, and I think this one's going to be a lot more involved. Um, also, um, oh, you know, with Halloween approaching, um, I'm going to be doing as many videos or potentially Instagram Lives about anything that uh, we do as a podcast, but also anything as uh, I and my family do as well. Um, for Halloween. Um, we've also, at the, right at the end of this month, we have our local uh, sort of co- smaller sort of Comic Con thing called WinterCon, uh, which is great fun. Uh, we go every year and it's great fun for, for um, you know, people who, who love all this sort of stuff in regards to comics, to horror, to anime and manga, who, uh, you know, love the cosplaying. Um, it's really great. Um, environment for those people. It's a really good weekend. Um, uh, so we've got that going on and we've got that um, where we're going to be promoting and, uh, you know, as much as we can, talking to people about Let's Talk Horror. Uh, one of the the biggest things is that I'm doing my best to try and set up um, a YouTube channel for, for all things horror. And, uh, and I think uh, it'd be a really cool thing to do. Um, you know, I'm going to keep the podcasts and if I do a YouTube journey, uh, channel, I'm going to try and keep them separate. So you'll have the audio journey and you'll also have uh, like the vid- the visual journey. Um, and it just means that they'll be slightly different. You know, this is purely me sitting here um, doing the podcast, you know, audio wise. Um, and, uh, you know, the video-wise of it, doing it on YouTube, um, means that I can I can experiment a little bit more, maybe, um, with it being visual and try and work all that out. Um, but I'm still going to try and do my best to release them at the same time. I'm really hoping the YouTube channel would be like a really big step forward um, for Let's Talk Horror. And one of the things I'm really excited about um, is I'm hoping to do a Let's Talk Horror Awards or I may name them something else. I don't know, but I'm going to try and do it, you know, really fun, trying to make a, you know, a big deal out of something that's little. Um, But at the end of every year, um, I'm going to basically pick out my favourite films and um, think of it basically the Oscars. Um, on a really small budget for horror films. That's what I'm going to do. And we're going to be picking um, our favourite films in different multiple categories um, for, that, for that year. And I, th- I think that's going to be a-, a lot of fun. I'm really looking forward to that. So hopefully the end of this year, um, I'll get my tucks out and uh, we we're, um, we're do a Let's Talk Horror Awards. Uh, and one of the other really exciting things is merch to come. Um, you know, if it all picks up again, if if you guys uh, spread the word and you listen to this podcast, um, you know, the merch that I've already got for myself, um, I really like. I think it's really cool and I think it's really, really cool everyday wear. And um, it's also something that's amazing for me because... I would love for as many of you as to promote 
um, let's talk horror as the platform to go to uh, for for all things um, horror, basically. Uh, so that hopefully might come uh, in a broader picture in the future. But overall, as I always say, you know, engagement is the key for me. And I will be driving this, but I want to drive this with you all as much as I can. You know, I love doing this. I love to have the conversations that I have with you. I love to see all your posts that you put on Instagram with your amazing horror collections, um, you know, which put mine completely to shame daily. Um, So I want us all to be involved uh, in this together as much as we can. I want everyone to help make this the platform for all things, uh, you know, horror, that we can have these amazing conversations that I already have about. Um, you know, I said at the start I would I would talk a little bit about as to why I went away. And it is only going to be a little bit because uh, I've spoken a lot about it recently. Um, but basically... You know, like a lot of people, lockdown was really tough on me. And uh, and I started the podcast because um, I needed something. Being an, what I would consider a really creative person um, who, you know, who spent their time thinking about filmmaking and acting and do, thinking about what they were going to do next. Um, the lockdown put a stop on all of that and I had to feed my creativity into something and that came out in the form of this Let's Talk Horror podcast and it was great and then things got worse Um, and I think you get to a point where you can only take so much uh, before everything stops and that's basically what happens my you know my brain my brain just stopped. Um, I, I didn't, I was no longer a uh, fully functioning human. I just became a zombie to, to this lockdown like so many people have. But now I'm in a way better place. And um, that is what matters. But don't ever think that I didn't enjoy doing these podcasts. Don't ever think that I ever wanted to stop them. It's because I just couldn't do it. Uh, because I couldn't do anything. But now I can, as I say, I am in a way better place to do so. Um, and I need your help to, to, to get even better. And what I mean by that is I love doing these. And I want to continue doing these podcasts. But I want to be able to continue doing them and have people listen to them and for people to give me a reason to keep doing them. So all I ask from you uh, is to keep listening to these podcasts and I will keep making them. And think about the bigger picture of Let's Talk Horror with me and talk about your friends or people that you know who enjoy horror films and say, I listen to this podcast, this guy's really passionate about horror and you should listen to it. And I would be really incredibly eternally grateful because, as I say, I want to keep doing this. I want to increase what we can do as horror fans 
for this community, for this podcast, uh, as the platform to go to. Um, and I can only do so much. And you guys are the bigger picture. You guys are the, the help um, that I need to push it further. So overall, I'm back. This is my first podcast since being back. I've really enjoyed it. So, uh, you know, stay tuned. Follow our Instagram page. Um, all the updates will be on there. I'm really looking forward to um, speaking to everybody on the Instagram lives. I think they're really fun and I think they're a great thing to do. And stay tuned for the YouTube channel as well, where we're going to be uh, doing the visual um, video podcast, as well as updating with everything uh, that we think we should be uh, that involves horror. So thank you so much for listening. Uh, if you stay till the end, you're amazing. You're all legends. And I look forward to uh, speaking to you all uh, over um, the social medias uh, soon. And keep listening. And uh, stay creepy. <laughs> <laughs>